0: All right, tonight, um, turn with me, please, to the book of Joel, Old Testament book of Joel, minor prophet. We're going to start there tonight, and then we'll look at some other places um, as we walk through the, the scriptures. We're going to, to look at, at several different texts tonight um, as we talk about this subject of repentance. What, what is repentance? Repentance. And um, this is the title of, of a short booklet put together by Dr. R.C. Sproul. Um, had, I've had the chance to, to read through it this past week and um, just really appreciated the, the content of it and what, what was found there and, and the, the way it was presented. Um, the statement, actually, on the uh, Ligonier Ministries website about this series of booklets states this. The Crucial Questions booklet series by Dr. R.C. Sproul offers clear answers to the most common and difficult questions about the Christian faith, equipping you for thoughtful evangelism and discipleship. And I know that I need to be continually equipped for thoughtful evangelism and discipleship. And I know that you need to be continually equipped for thoughtful, disciple, uh, thoughtful evangelism and discipleship. And so... Uh, thought it would be good for us to to look at this together this evening, um, and so we begin kind of looking at the uh, at a definition of the word repentance, and so we we can go back to the the, the Greek word for this is metanoia. Um, prefix meta means with, beside, or after, and then the word noia meaning mind. So. Um, the term then came to mean a, a significant uh, change to one's mind. Uh, and it tells aspects of, of regret, remorse, sorrow uh, of a particular action that you've carried out. Um, we see in the Old Testament. In, in the life of Israel that there were a lot of different aspects and facets of repentance. There was a religious aspect of the, the behavior that, that was kind of displayed by the nation as a whole. Um, and we see things in that like, first of all, fasting. <clears throat> we see this concept of, of fasting, of going without food and water for a period of time. Um, And the idea there is to reflect on one's actions and and to cry out in repentance to God, in sorrow, and and to seek mercy from him. Uh, There were particular garments a lot of times that were worn during this times of repentance. Um, You know, we read a lot about sackcloth and, and ashes, so this coarse material, it would, it would itch and, and scratch and it would be uncomfortable. And it would draw the mind back to repenting to God. Um, Old Testament Israel also had particular songs that they would sing during a time of repentance. They had uh, laments to God for their sin. There could also be, we read about there being loud crying and wailing over their sin and their offense against God. And another part of this was that there were specific days, actually, that they devoted to, they set aside, devoted to um, time to repent before God. And we think about this and we look at it now as in a, Kind of a New Testament equivalent to this, and we we don't really have a, a lot of things like this. I think many times because you know we know that Old Testament Israel and we know that the Pharisees and the New Testament, and we read about it many times they could they could kind of go through all of these motions that we see on the screen and and they'd be no more than that, right? They were just outward. Motions. There was no true repentance there. And when we we see that, then we tend to, we want to really focus on an, an internal repentance of the heart. And that's good because our repentance must be from the heart. It must be true. It must be heartfelt. It must be godly sorrow for what we've done in breaking God's law. But Dr. Sproul did mention something that I really hadn't considered before. I thought it was a very interesting thing. And he said, perhaps it could actually do us some good if we did have some kind of external thing, some outward sign, some action of repentance, as Old Testament Israel did. And and I thought, about you know, we could definitely, we can fast. As we focus on repentance we can we can sing particular songs that lead us to to meditate on and consider our repentance we can do many of those things as we consider how we have sinned against God and it, it's not that repentance is you know some kind of somehow automatically accomplished through this outward action, but the action can lead us to consider and to give expression of what is in our heart. And I thought it was a very interesting point that he makes there. Um, So that's the first thing we see, kind of the definition of repentance. The second thing is a a picture of repentance. Repentance. Or an illustration or an example that we see in Scripture. Um, and this is where we see in the Old Testament book of Joel. Um, so because of Israel's sin and their disobedience and their breaking of the covenant of the law, they were under the judgment of God. And at the beginning of the book of Joel, we read about the, the locusts, <clears throat> excuse me. The locusts that have come in and they've eaten up all the vegetation. All the, the grain of the field, all the vines in the vineyard are all gone. And um, there's barrenness in the land. And then look with me down at, in chapter 1 at verse 5. There it says, Awake, you you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. The grapes of the land are gone. The locusts have devoured the the vines. And we also see here the elements of repentance that we just talked about. There's weeping, there, there's wailing. A few verses later, um, verse 8, it, lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. Again, elements we've seen before lamenting and wearing sackcloth. A few verses later, in, in verse 13, we put on sackcloth and lament, O priests, wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. So sackcloth, lament, wailing, all of these things. Verse fourteen: consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land. To the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Cry out to Him. Later, if you look down in chapter 2 of Joel and you look at verses 12 and 13, there it says, Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Again, we see these elements of fasting and weeping and, and mourning, but then we get to verse 13. And, and we see a different, different facet here of repentance here. The prophet brings out this aspect of the heart. And so rending or, or tearing of clothes was done, um, in times of extreme sadness and mourning and grief, that it, 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 it was felt way deep down in the soul. There's a way to try to give some outward physical expression to, to what was felt inside, to rip their clothes. And so, what the Lord is saying here through the prophet Joel is, is don't let the tearing merely be external. The clothing, but but truly do rend and tear your heart in repentance to the Lord, and return to Him. It's a great picture of of repentance that we see in the Old Testament. Um, after looking at the the definition and illustration of repentance, then we see um, the the model a model of repentance. Um, and we see this actually in Psalm 51. So if you would turn there with me. Turn to Psalm 51. Look at this briefly. Um, when we go to this psalm, we, see, we read in the, the superscript of the psalm. It tells us that um, this is to the choir master. It's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we have the the occasion for this psalm being written. Uh, Probably the most well-known of of what are called the, the penitential psalms. Psalms that express regret and sorrow for sin. And so we're going to look at this. We see in the very first verse, if you look there with me, David writes, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So the very first thing... That we see is this this calling out to the mercy for the mercy of God. And Dr. Sproul says this the first fruit of authentic repentance is a recognition of our profound need for mercy. So here we see David, he's understanding here in this verse that he cannot cleanse himself, he can't earn this cleansing from God that, that his soul needs. He doesn't deserve to be cleansed by God. Instead, he must rely on this this incredible mercy of God to do this to him. Verse 2, David says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This idea of being cleansed or made clean is is kind of at the heart of the the biblical concept of repentance. In verse 3, David says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Dr. Sproul uh, refers to this as the, the haunted man. So David's like a haunted man here. This is not a casual statement. But it's, it's, David is making here this statement out of being overwhelmed with, with guilt and with grief. Because of his sin, it haunts him. David continues in verse 4. He says, against you, you only... Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? There there is some some hyperbole being used here. It's kind of the the use of an extreme here to make a point. Because we know, of course, David has sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and, and the people of Israel. But first and foremost, before any of that, first and foremost, his sin was against God. So that in the second part of verse 4, it says, you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Dr. Sproul says it's one of the most powerful expressions of true repentance that we find in the scriptures. David here is basically saying, God, when you judge me and you find me guilty, and if you were to destroy me in your wrath, it would be perfectly just for you to do that. It's exactly what I deserve. Again, David can, cannot remove this guilt from himself. The Lord is the one who must do this. If you drop down to verse 10. We see David's plea that, that God would make him clean. Create a clean heart within him and renew a right spirit. We get down to verse 15. And then we read, O oh Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in the sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Again, the point here is God is not, He doesn't merely want the the external actions here of of offering a sacrifice or, or a burnt offering. Instead, he wants the penitent heart. He, he wants a, a broken spirit shattered in, into pieces. He wants a, a broken and a contrite or, or a humble or a sorrowful heart over sin. And, and Scripture has a lot to say about this particular mindset and posture um, of humility. James 4 tells us God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5 says the same thing. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, meaning mourning over their sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So being broken and humble and meek and mourning our sin before God is the way of true godly biblical repentance Um, Dr. Sproul here closes his chapter by he, he encourages every believer to commit Psalm 51 to memory and this is the reason that he gives for it when we feel overwhelmed by the reality of our guilt Words fail us as we seek to express ourselves in penitence before God. It truly is a blessing to have the words of Scripture themselves upon our lips on those occasions. So when we are grieved of our sin, when we don't even know what to pray in repentance, the words of Scripture are there for us to use, to rely on. So we've seen the, the definition we have seen a picture. We've seen a model of repentance. And the last chapter in this uh, in this book is, is on repentance and regeneration. And, and it looks kind of at the relationship between the two. And um, he talks about Augustine, um, who was the one who, who asked. He asked this prayer of God: It's God grant?" what thou dost command and command what thou wilt. In other words, here he's praying, Lord, give me the ability to do what you command and then command me to do whatever you will. And this is the case with repentance. Dr. Sproul writes, genuine repentance is something that is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. It is a gracious activity by God. And we see this in the scriptures. We see in the book of Acts, the the early church is just trying to, you know, they're coming to terms with this idea of, of salvation of the Gentiles. And it says in chapter 11, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God granted repentance that leads to life. In 2 Timothy Uh, Paul writes that the pastor should correct his opponents with gentleness, knowing that God might grant them repentance, leading to the truth. So we see that the Lord is the one who does this in the human heart to grant repentance. So lastly tonight, please turn with me to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And here we're gonna we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter two. Kind of the when we talk about um, repentance and regeneration and conversion and those kind of things, we're gonna look at the the logical order in, in which these things must occur. And so Ephesians two, it starts stating that you know all people are are born born physically alive but spiritually dead. Um, And and dead people don't do anything. They they don't breathe. They don't move. They're dead. And so we look at it. And in order for there then to be repentance, God must bring about spiritual life. So look with me in verses 4 and 5. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So God must bring spiritually dead people to spiritual life. We go on down to verse 8. There it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Well, then what is the this in this verse? What does that refer to? It must refer back to faith in the same verse. So so here, Scripture is clear. God must give spiritual life. God must grant repentance. God must give faith. And then we read throughout all the Scriptures that we are indeed responsible to repent of our sin and to place our faith in Christ. And so we see how this works throughout looking at Joel and looking at Psalm 51 and Ephesians 2 and this idea of repentance, of coming in and the sorrow that we have before a holy God and coming in and seeking forgiveness for that sin. It is an incredible gift to have a the Spirit who convicts of sin and, and grants to us repentance, whether it 's upon our first act of repentance and, and justification and our conversion or the, the continual repentance that we all need day by day in our, in our sanctification and as God disciplines us and grows us throughout our Christian lives that it 's such a blessing that God would act in this way to restore us to relationship with himself. And so it may it lead us, may it drive us to thanksgiving of him who has done this great thing in us. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for these passages. We thank you that, that you work up, bring about repentance in our hearts. Give us the, uh, the ability to do that. Father, I pray that we would reflect and evaluate and examine our own hearts. Father, to to see where the sin is in us that we might confess to you. And so, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.